Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Amy. And I'm Hannah. And thanks for joining us for our latest episode. This episode is all about bivying and hillwalking in the UK and features highlights from our latest Cicerone live event with Cicerone author Ronald Turnbull. Ronald is a hillwalking expert and bivying enthusiast who has written several guidebooks for Cicerone, including a brand new edition of his book, The Book of the Bivy. Ronald has completed several coast-to-coast bivy bag trips across Scotland and slept on many hilltops in the UK, completing his 100th hilltop bivy with a night on Waller Crag earlier this year. For those who haven't come across bivying before, Ronald's The Book of the Bivy provides a brilliant introduction to the world of the bivouac or bivy, drawing upon his own extensive experience of bivying and hillwalking in the UK. As you're going to hear more about in this episode, bivying offers a chance to experience a whole new level of immersion in the outdoors with just a lightweight bag between you and the elements. So Ronald is a legend in the world of bivying and bivouac. But if you've never come across it before, you might be wondering what it actually is. So as far as I'm aware, bivying is sleeping outside without a tent. So like a sort of camping, but maybe a more improvised way or just a really, really lightweight way. You can buy a bivy bag, they're called, which is anything from an emergency survival bag that's like a pound up to some really luxury Gore-Tex ones or ones with framed hoods. So you can do it in quite a technical way if you get all the fancy equipment and you get a really posh sleeping bag. But it depends really what weather you want to go out in and how often you're going to use it. Because essentially, if you were caught short on a mountain and you get a survival bag out of your rucksack, which you should have in your rucksack anyway, when you're going out on a hill day, you can just shelter behind a rock in a survival bag. And that's a a bivvy. I think when Ronald was a bit younger, he maybe advocated doing tougher and more extreme bivvies. Ronald has started to embrace a little bit more comfort in his life and he now doesn't go for the extremes that he used to. But you can still have some really nice times just going out in a bivy bag because you don't need to carry loads and loads of equipment. Ronald doesn't even carry cooking equipment. He just takes a packed lunch or takes something light with him. So it's just another adventure you can tack onto a hill day and it gives you more flexibility to maybe do two longer walks together and sleep somewhere as a a little wild camp up in the hills when you're not disturbing anybody or anything because you're just there with just you and your bag. And I don't think you have to go particularly high either. I know that Ronald does a lot of bivvying on hilltops and that's a, a thing in itself. But, you know, you could go up on just almost like the side of a hill somewhere or, or a small one um, rather than feeling like you have to commit to something extreme. And you could make sure that you're reasonably close to your car, for instance, particularly for your first one, just to feel more comfortable with it um, and figure out what kit you're going to need and that sort of thing. It doesn't have to feel like a really big, scary thing because it's an adventure, but I think you can make it reasonably safe. And by looking at the weather forecast as well. Yeah, I would say there doesn't have to be particularly any danger involved. You can just go up a nice hill and and you're staying until after everybody's left and you're sleeping for a bit and then, you know, get up and a few hours later and toddle back down the hill. It doesn't have to even be a a full night. Like if you went in the summer when it goes dark at 11 o'clock and then you sleep for a few hours and you get up at four, You've got quite a short sleep, but you get to enjoy the the sunset and the sunrise in a a magical environment with nobody else around, which is quite rare in some parts of the UK. So if quickly we just talk about the rules of bivvying, the legalities of that is the same as for wild camping. 
So in Scotland, there's the right to roam, which means that you can wild camp or bivy anywhere in the hills and places like that, as long as you act responsibly. Whereas in the rest of the UK, you do technically need the landowner's permission to wild camp or bivy. But if you're up in the hills somewhere, it is unlikely that you'll actually need to do that um, or that you will be approached by a landowner and asked to move on. But that is just something to know about and to consider that the landowner can technically ask you to, to move on if you are bivvying or wild camping. I know that Ronald does a lot of his bivvying in Scotland and most of his Cicerone guides are to hill walking in Scotland. Um, so his experiences largely come under that Scottish right to roam rule. But I'm pretty sure that he's never had an issue either when he's been bivvying in, say, the Lake District on the Lake District Fells. Um, so yeah, just something to know about. And of course, wherever you are in the UK or anywhere else where you're bivvying, this does all involve just being responsible with the environment. We do need to be careful, similarly to wild camping, that people do respect the countryside code, respect the rules, respect the fact that you're there to enjoy the environment and take part in a mountain environment activity. It would be a real shame and a surprise, I think, if anybody went for a bivvy and took a barbecue and ended up starting a hill fire or something like that. I think most people in the community are very, very respectful and very careful when they go out and do these activities. And they don't need to be told a big list of rules. It's just that simple edict of take nothing but photographs and leave nothing but footprints choose somewhere appropriate to sleep and if somebody does move you along then you have to respect that and you find a different tuft of grass to, to sleep on um but i think you know most likely we are preaching to the choir with our listeners but we all need to do our bit i guess and get the word out that the environment is out there for us to enjoy but we must also look after it now i've actually never been bivying but i know that you have hannah um, and i wonder if you want to talk a bit about that and what your experience was I've only bivvied once, actually. Um, I'm not a fan of getting really, really cold. So I would say I'm a fair weather bivvier. I did one bivvy on a night when I knew that it was going to be a full moon and it was in summer. It was light till really, really late at night. And even once it technically was dark, we had a full moon so we could see. And we were on the island of Rum in Scotland and basically, we bivvied out with the Manx Shearwaters so that we could just enjoy spending the evening with these wonderful, charming birds. And you can get away with doing that when there's a group of you and you're staying somewhere like that because you're not damaging the environment in any way. You're not putting tent pegs in. I think a group of sort of 10 people with tents would be quite an invasion of their habitat, whereas 10 people just snuggling off next to a rock. It's a very low impact way to spend an evening. I really struggled with the sliding around because my sleeping bag was just a cheapy sleeping bag. And I think I did just have an emergency blanket was the bag I used. And I slid around nonstop all night. So if you're like me, Ronald does share a top tip later about putting your sleeping mat inside your bag so that you and your mat and your bag are all contained. And if you slide down the hill a little bit, at least you're sliding down with your sleeping mat. You're not going to leave it behind. I wish I'd known that a few years ago. <laughs> I think it's really special to be able to enjoy the Lake District or wherever you happen to be in those beautiful hours when the sun is setting that normally everybody's sort of rushed off the hill by then because they don't want to be caught out in the dark. 
But if you've planned for it and you've got your bivvying stuff, then you can just wait until everybody's left and you're on your own and you've got the calm and the peace and the beauty. And if it starts raining or you don't sleep, then you just walk down the hill and go home, I guess. And I know that Ronald's done a lot of like multi-day bivvies, but I guess to begin with, you would just do one night and walk there and back, probably. You don't have to commit necessarily to like a long trip bivvying and worrying about the weather unless you know that the weather's going to be really nice. I think it depends how lightweight you go as well, because Ronald doesn't take any cooking equipment. So essentially, he's got his sleeping bag and his bivvy bag, but that's all he's got that's extra. And then his food for the evening meal. But he doesn't take loads and loads of stuff. So it wouldn't be the end of the world to take your stuff for bivvying and then realise that it wasn't going to work and to just go back down the hill. And I also like that he talks a lot about having a pub dinner before you set off so that you've got a nice big meal inside you before you go and lie on a hilltop. And you can make a real nice evening out of it, depending on where you set off from and where you go. Yeah. I mean, one thing I learned was when I was doing all this stuff with bivvying and I was doing some outdoor training, I was only just out of university. So I had no money and I had the cheapest, rubbishiest equipment and The bivvy we did in the middle of summer, it was lovely, but I did some wild camping in November with a one season sleeping bag and it was horrific. It was years later when I experienced wild camping with better equipment and I realised it doesn't have to be that horrific every single time. And I think Ronald kind of talks about that a little bit, that he started out and he was all about having these formative experiences, whereas, you know, you can treat yourself to a plush sleeping bag and and actually it can be quite a comfortable experience. It doesn't need to be an adventure. It can be fun and comfortable and just a, a lovely thing to do. Hi, Ronald. Thank you for that nice introduction. I'm going to move in with a little bit of history explaining how I got into this peculiar pursuit. When I was about 40, I took up fell running, which is the same thing as hill running if you're in Scotland. Um, I was quite a slow hill runner. Anything shorter than the Ben Nevis race was too short for me and I was trailing at the back. But once I got used to this wonderful way of moving at high speed across the hills, I wanted to adapt that to my other enthusiasm, which was multi-day trips across the hills of Scotland and northern England, often coast-to-coast ones. And so naturally, I wanted to get my luggage down to as close to nothing at all as I possibly could. So that was why I got my first bivy bag. A typical trip in that part of my life was the Wainwright coast-to-coast in four days. You're going to have to believe me when I say that doing the Wainwright Coast to Coast in four days is actually an enjoyable experience. It's a different experience, but it, it is pleasurable in its own way. The second day into that, I was heading across the Westmoreland limestone. It was drizzling and there was a cold, brisk wind and it was getting dark. So I dodged into a wood to get some shelter. And what I didn't realise was that the lovely soft moss that I was unrolling my bivy bag onto, it was only when I was inside it with my boots on that I realised that under the lovely soft moss there was some not very lovely, hard, sharp-edged limestone boulders. I didn't carry a sleeping mat because that spoils your aerodynamics. Um, So the only reason I had a sleep that night was because I had covered enough miles that I could have slept anywhere. So that's one end of the bivy bag experience. But the following night, I passed through Grasmere. I had a nice bar meal, headed up onto Gibson Knot at the back of Helm Crag. It was lovely, grassy, 
dip on the ridge high up there and I was looking down over the top of Helmcrag down to Grasmere as the sun was going down and it was soft grass and lovely and it was just a beautiful night out. So that's the two extremes of bivy bagging. But um, in the time since then, I've got older, I've got slower, I've got softer and more comfort loving. Um, Possibly I've even got wiser. So the new edition of the Book of the Bivy has quite a lot more emphasis on the comfortable side of bivying. And it also has a whole lot more pictures. So now I'm going to show you the extremes of the bivying experience. I'm going to immerse you in the outdoors, possibly with a roof on and not out in the rain and try and show you the two extremes of bibbing. This first picture is to show you that it wasn't my idea, this slightly odd idea of sleeping outdoors in a bag. This is Robert Louis Stevenson in 1878 on his trip through the Sevens with the donkey called Modestine. He invented his own bivy bag. It's made of sheepskin and tarpaulin. And his problem on that trip was not a lack of comfort at night. Whether it was raining or not, he had wonderfully comfortable nights. This is a coast-to-coast trip across Scotland, uh, the second night out. I was actually planning to spend this night in the bunkhouse at Glenfinnan, but the weather was so beautiful and I was ahead of myself because long days, early starts, late finishes, beautiful weather. So I carried on up onto this mountain, which is Skern and Coryachan above Glenfinnan. There's a nice little dip running across the summit of the mountain there, just the right size for lying down in in your bivy bag so that the wind goes over the top of it. And it was also angled in just right for me to be watching the Isle of Rum under the sunset. And of course, when you're in a bivy bag, you don't miss any of it. There's no zip to zip out the scenery with. You don't zip the outdoors away and snuggle down with your book or your iPad or whatever you happen to have up there. You're out there all night unless it rains. And that is one of the advantages of a bivy bag. You can move it if you need to. And in fact, before going to sleep, I would have worked out where I was going to head for if the weather did turn nasty. Now, this one is on Carnangower in Athol, which means the stony hill of the goat. This is another of these dubious nights. I dried out nicely along the ridge, but when I got to the summit, again, the rain came in flying sideways and very cold. It's a stony summit, so I thought that I was going to have to head down off the ridge. But just below the summit, I saw this beautiful little ledge just a metre down below the summit ridge. But that was low enough so that the rain and wind were mostly coming above my head. I think the top of my head was up in the rain and the wind there. And there you see I'm sitting with my back to the wind in my waterproof jacket with a hood up. I can also, when I want to, I can pull up the bivy bag because it has a zip across that sort of cut your throat level which means I can put it over my head and it droops down like that and I have a whole square foot of space on my lap, which is dry, to eat my supper in. This is a near-perfect bivy site. This is Sheffield Pike above Ullswater. You can see there's a very deep dip that I've got down into. It's deep enough so that the wind's going straight over the top, but there's just a little eddy coming down into the dip, which gives me enough breeze. I like to feel the breeze across my face in the night. And it also helps with the breathable membrane of the bivy bag. It helps keep everything nice and dry. Also, because it's so sheltered, the grass is really juicy and comfortable to lie down on. But the real perfect aspect of it is the way that it's angled right up Ullswater so that you get the sunrise reflected all the way along the lake in the morning. Now, there are several of these little grooves. I think they're meltwater channels from the end of the Ice Age. 
across the top of Sheffield Pike. So you needn't worry that there might be some other listeners to this presentation occupying the groove when you hurry up there with your bivy bag next week, because there's several grooves to choose among. Now, I did get myself, after a long time spending in a sort of minimal polyester sleeping bag designed for mountain marathons and weighing almost nothing and being about as useful as you'd expect, I did get myself a three-season downfield sleeping bag. And this is me sleeping out on a low hill on the middle of Rannoch Moor in December. As you can see, there's a very hard frost. I sort of dodged down into a little peat hollow, which I'd identified on my way up to the summit. And that kept off the wind and it kept off some of the cold because it obscured quite a lot of the night sky. But even so, I was lying there. When I opened my eyes, I could see the frost forming on the grass stems in front of my nose. And as the night went on, the frost got deeper. And I brought my boots and my water bottle into the bivy bag with me so they wouldn't freeze in the morning. And the bit which was kind of suspenseful was when I got up in the morning, trying to get my jacket zipped up and my boots on and laced before my fingers went numb with the cold and I couldn't use them anymore. The reward for this austere opening to the day was these amazing views across Rannoch Moor with the morning mist and the colours. This, by contrast, is an unpleasant <laughs> night out in the bivy bag. There have been one or two. We were going to bivy down in the Trossachs Oakwoods, but it was a beautiful starry night, so we headed up onto Ben Lady anyway in the dark, in the moonlight, with the lights of Scotland's central belt shining across below us on the south side and casting a weird orange glow over the mountainside and combining with the moonlight on the mountains to the north. Very weird, wonderful sculptural effect. And we bedded down in this dip, very near the summit, right beside the trig point of Ben Lady. In the night, I sort of woke up and shone my feeble torch around. I could tell it was the cloud had come down because it got so much warmer. But the ground looked kind of grey and strange. I thought it was the moonlight shining through the cloud. It wasn't. It was an inch of fresh, wet snow which had fallen on us in the night. So that was quite a harsh awakening, especially for my companion, who had a state-of-the-art off 20 years ago Pertex bivy bag, which was superbly light, superbly breathable, but alas, was not superbly waterproof. So we stuffed all this wet, cold gear into our rucksacks and just set off around the hills straight away. Looking back at it from 15 years later, it was a fun night out, but actually it wasn't. This is a sort of showing you the technique, rather. There's the hood part of the bivy bag with a zip across it at the chin level. But I tend to sleep on top of the hood with some stuff in the hood. I tend to put my waterproof jacket in the hood because it's a good place to find it and it has a certain efficiency as a pillow. But it, the whole point of a bivy bag is to sleep with your head out in the open. And that's also very good in terms of not getting condensation inside the bivy bag because your breath doesn't condense inside the bivy bag. But the main thing is you just have to open one eye to see the stars whirling around the pole star as the night goes on or the stag standing silhouetted against the loch so far below or the lights of Keswick making kind of poached egg effects through the mist that's drifting across down there by the lake. And then if it does rain, you know, obviously I put my head inside the hood and I zip it up. Waterproof cover goes on the rucksack to keep the dew off, and it also means it's easy to stuff the boots in there if it should start to rain in the night. Boots pointing downhill so the rain doesn't get in, but they can ventilate a bit. And the real subtlety, although they're not really needed on this particular evening, the water bottle upside down so that if it freezes in the night, the ice is in the bottom of the bottle and you can still get a drink out of the top when you turn it the other way up again. 
very useful chip, that one. It makes you look very professional if you do that in your Bigly bag. If you want to discover more about bivying for yourself, please head over to the Cicerone website where you can get a 25% discount on Ronald's The Book of the Bivy. Type in Bivy25 at the checkout. That's Bivy with two Vs. B-I-V-V-Y. You've bivied in so many amazing places. As you're out hill walking, are you taking note of all these different places that you could go and stay? Is that something that you do? I sometimes do, but mostly I just, I mean, like with Scorefell Pike, I, I went up there. I thought I probably wouldn't be able to get a bivy on the summit, but it was just fun to look around and find one. I generally allow at least 20 minutes for finding a bivy site because it's worth spending that time finding somewhere that's sheltered and has the view and has soft ground underneath and isn't damp. Uh, it just makes the difference between an ordinary or nasty night and a really lovely one. But no, I don't I don't tend to recce in advance. It's more fun to wing it. You can always head downhill. You know, you can switch your torch on and head downhill if it turns out too nasty. So if we talk about safety then um, in the hills, and I know you've vivied in so many <laughs> different types of weather, as you showed us, um, and you're you know, evidently very experienced. But for people who are maybe starting out or haven't done that many, are there certain times of year or certain weathers that you really should avoid when you're going bivvying? I mean, I bivy or I have bivied all the year round. I tend to look at the weather forecast first. I mean, a bivy bag is a great survival aid. You can survive in a bivy bag in a blizzard, even without uh, a sleeping bag. I mean, it's not nice, but you'll survive. I suppose, as, you, as you've said, though, you know, you should be prepared to drop down if the weather does change or you know, be adaptable with your plans. Yeah. It's much easier to shove a bivy bag into the rucksack in the middle of the night and head downhill, um, provided you've got a torch. You don't have to abandon it like you have with a tent, which might discourage you from heading downhill. I mean, for a beginner, you look at the, the weather forecast and you choose a nice pub in the Lake District and you have a bar meal and you head up the hill. Choose a small hill with nice heather and you know comfortable grass. If you've got a good weather forecast and a decent sleeping bag, and a nice bar meal inside you, really, you're almost guaranteed to have a nice time. You have done long distance bivvying, kind of going cross country across Scotland um, and bivvying that rather than camping it and taking a tent. So I want to ask you how that experience is, is different doing a long distance bivvy. Um, I would plan the route so that, you know, if I got really wet one night, I could divert to a bothy or a hotel or a youth hostel for the following night. I mean, when I was a fell runner, I just took what came and, um, you know, spent some really quite austere nights out in the rain. But when I got a little bit older, I would plan it so that I could escape somewhere. Obviously, you know, obviously, if it's nasty weather, you're not going to be on the top of the hill. You're going to be down in a cosy wood or somewhere like that, or even a cave if you can find one. And I suppose it means that you can carry just less equipment. With bivvying, I don't carry a cooker. It's just so much fuss fiddling around in the cold air with the cooker that it's better to have a cold meal and then have a really nice bar meal in a day or two or whenever you get down to the bottom and eat lots of vegetables then. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is lighter and that's good, but it's mainly for the experience. I just love being out there in the open air. I think that a tent is kind of indoors. You know, you get in there, you snuggle down, you pull down the zip and where's the outside world? You might as well be in a youth hostel or a, a bothy or at home in bed. Yeah, I've got a lovely quote from your book written down that buying a bivy bag is buying a new way of having fun. Yeah, it's also a new way of having misery, but <laughs> there's much more fun than misery. And by being a bit careful, you can only have enough misery to make it interesting. 
I had a really nasty night a few years ago. You think I was old enough to know better. <laughs> it's in the Cicerone's 50 Years of Adventure. I put it in there. A snowy night out in Upper Eskdale, which is a magic place. I thought I could get down from Mickledore in the last of the light, and I was sliding down the hill in the soft snow like a yeti in a hurry. And I got below the snow line, but um, then during the night the snow line came down, and so I was no longer below the snow line. And the nice little place I'd found under a boulder, as my body thawed it out, it turned out to be a little bog. So, yeah, I had a really unpleasant night. But you don't have to be all that clever to avoid exposing yourself to that kind of thing. That's amazing. And just before we move to questions from the audience, with buying a bivy bag, it's not necessarily like a cheap alternative to a tent, is it? And I wondered if you had any tips on, you know, kind of costs and that sort of thing. Uh, well, I really don't because I'm not a gear person. Uh, I mean, my first bivy bag was hand-sewn by a man in a shed in, in the 1990s because that was the only way you could get a bivy bag in those days. And it was just a green nylon bag proofed with polyurethane. And then I moved up to a luxury and it was called it was called the entry-level bivy bag. And that was the one that the mouse found in the loft, but I patched it up with spinnaker tape. And I've been using it for... I mean, I still think of it as my new bivy bag, but it's 15 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is cheaper. I mean, that's not the point. Nowadays, you can get a really good bivy bag, nice and simple and lightweight for £50 from Alkit or Rab or, yeah, someone else does them as well. What happened was, I mean, it was just me and Robert Louis Stevenson and a few more weirdos, but then the mountaineers started using bivy bags because they needed it at the bottom of the walker spur of the Grand Jorasse. So people like Alkit started making them for the mountaineers and the mountaineers didn't want internal poles and pockets and zips and something weighing almost as much as a tent. They wanted the same as I did, which was something that weighed well under a kilogram and had one zip at most and no pegs or poles or anything. Uh, so suddenly, you know, people started manufacturing, yeah, £50 for a bivy bag and a good sleeping bag. You need a better sleeping bag. You need to add a season. If you're using a three-season bag in a tent, then you'd need a four-season bag in a bivy bag. I used to use um, synthetic ones because I was doing sort of several nights in a row and the bivy bag steadily got damper and damper. But nowadays I use a, a downfield one because I'm, you know, if my bivy bag gets damp the first night, I'm going to a luxury hotel where I can hang it up in the bathroom and dry it out again. So I'm, I'm no longer doing, you know, several nights in a row in bad weather. So a downfield one is much better. Do you ever use a tarp in combination with your bivy bag? Um, what I like about the bivy bag is the simplicity of it. You can unroll it anywhere. It can't get blown away. Uh, you can't forget the pegs because it doesn't have any pegs. And, I mean, if you're on... Where was it? I was on the Quantox, and in the middle of the night there was a strange noise, like someone snoring nearby, and it was... Uh, when I shone my torch, it was two male roe deer, two roebucks, <laughs> confronting each other about to have an antler fight. So I just sort of picked up my bivy bag and strolled down into the nearby woodland to avoid being trampled by roebucks, which, I mean, it's not one of the main risks of being on a hilltop, but it does, you know, it's so easy to pick up and shift. It's so simple. So I've never gone for the tarp option. On the other hand, I'm shortly probably going to go on a hike with my son along the Arran coastal path. And it's there's not going to be any accommodation because it's all booked up for COVID. So we're going to take two bivy bags and a tarp tent because it only weighs about 12 ounces and he's going to carry it anyway because he's younger than me. And you, you can then put it up and you can have two bivy bags and put your heads in underneath it. And I mean, I enjoy a bit of suffering myself, but I try not to inflict it on my family. 
that will be my actually first time with a combination of the top tent and the baby bag. But that's how I'm planning to do that one. We've got a couple about the kind of practicalities of using the bivy bag. So could you talk through the process of actually getting into the bag? You put the sleeping bag in the bivy bag. You usually put the mat inside the bivy bag as well. Okay. And you lay it on the ground with an opening towards you. And then you loosen your boots and you step out of one boot into the entrance area. And then you step out of the other boot into the entrance area. And then you wriggle yourself down inwards. I mean, if you've got the kind of closed cell foam mat... That's really good because you can spread it out on the dewy grass and it will stay dry because it doesn't absorb water and you can do all your dressing and undressing on the foam mat. But normally, nowadays, I have an inflatable mat which you don't really want to stand on it. You just want to put it in the bivy bag and lie down on top of it. And in inclement weather with just a bivy, how do you effectively operate a wet-dry clothes system without getting either yourself or your clothes wet while getting changed? Yeah, well, that's a tricky one. On the whole, I tend to avoid that situation. And there was a time when I was heading up to the summit of Skidor and I was walking along the summit ridge in the evening light. Well, it wasn't actually, it was the beginning of the night, it was dark. And a serious rain shower came along and I immediately got into my bivy while my clothes underneath were still dry. But basically, you can get into a bivy and you can do a lot of fiddling around in that bivy because I got into the bivy bag and then I zipped it up and then I had to do everything inside the bivy bag. But basically, you can do a lot wriggling around inside a bivy. Um, I mean, it wouldn't do any harm to take a course of yoga before setting out for a trip like that. I mean, on the whole, nowadays, I avoid that situation, but you can change all your clothes, entire, every garment you've got inside a bivy bag. It's quite tricky. I mean, you can't see what you're doing. You end up with your trousers on back to front, or both legs down the same leg of the trousers. Uh, it's a good way of getting warm. And um, if you're not bivying with a camping mat, what isolates you from the cold ground? Or would you say that you need to take one if it's going to be cold? If it's going to be cold, if it's winter, yes, I would take a mat. What insulates you from the cold ground? I mean, as I said, you spend 20 minutes finding the ideal site. And in summer, you can get enough insulation from heather or spongy old high tall grass. Have you ever been caught out in lightning while bivying? Yeah, it was zipped up in my bivy bag with the rain pounding down on the outside of the bag. And there was no way I was going to move. Um, I was about, I don't know, 200 metres down from the summit of Skidor, just far enough down to get out of the wind because, you know, it was raining so hard. Yeah, I'd sort of hit the hill at about four o'clock in the afternoon when everybody was leaving. So I'd had a moderate day's walking over Great Cock-Up. I should have realised, shouldn't I? Start your day on Great Cock-Up. How's it going to end? I wasn't going to move. Uh, And yes, and then the lightning started and it was quite exciting. I persuaded myself that in a soaking wet bivy bag, if you're struck by lightning, there'll be a Faraday cage effect and the lightning will go down the outside of the bivy bag. And uh, yeah, I just fell asleep. Wow. I don't know if I could sleep through a lightning storm anyway. Well, you'd have to try. I didn't know if I could. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a very heavy shower. I don't think it was lightning all night. I mean, possibly there were only sort of three or four lightnings and they'd stopped and I went to sleep at that point. And tips for dealing with condensation? Well, a good sleeping bag has a certain water repellent quality. I did study up, I consulted my um, half-brother-in-law who works for the Met Office about dew and why it falls on some places and not on others. And his explanation was really complicated (laughs) because it's a really complicated subject. It is random. Often the top of the hill is better than the bottom. 
I mean, one thing is that, you know, the water should bead up and fall off your bivy bag. And if it doesn't, you treat it like a waterproof jacket. I mean, I put my very old bivy bag, you know, I did the proper thing with it. I spent all that money on the special waterproofing, washing, waterproofer and detergent. I mean, it must have been at least a fiver. And I washed it in the washing machine. And it's wonderful. You can, you know, the water does bead up and fall off. And that is a great help when it comes to getting the moisture out through the night. Obviously, if the thing is soaking wet on the outside, then the water vapour can't get out of it. The dampness that you get inside is the sort of half pint or so that you give off from your body during the night. So it has to get out. If there's a bit of a breeze, that certainly helps with the waterproof breathable membrane, which is why I try to, you know, stay somewhere that's not entirely sheltered, but has a little air movement over the top of it. Also, I love the feeling of the air moving across my face as well, but that's part of it. And the other thing that matters is not to breathe into your bivy bag because that's just a whole lot of extra moisture which is going to end up in your sleeping bag. So even if it's raining really hard, I'll leave a tiny little hole at the side and do my breathing through that. The disadvantage of that is that the handle of the zip always dangles on your neck when you do that. I haven't found the solution to that one yet. Always things to figure out. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. There's always more to learn. <laughs> We had a question early on. Do you always bivy at high level? And if not, are there more things to consider if you're lower down? I don't always bivy at high level. If the weather's nasty, I'm busy low down. When you're at low level, you have to be a bit more circumspect and think about gamekeepers and that kind of thing. But basically, no, I'm just, just the same. I'm looking for a comfortable bed and shelter. Less of a view, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, the reason I'm bivying low down is because it's not a particularly nice night, usually. Um, if it's a nice night, I'll be bivying as high as I can get for the view and the atmosphere. And yeah, but I don't think there's any special technique for low level. You have to think about trees a bit. If they drip on you during the night, that can be quite disturbing because the bivy bag's right beside your ear. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a tree, which is putting a great bloop of water every five seconds, two inches from your ear, that can be a little bit upsetting. But the general thing is, if you walk far enough, you're going to sleep. And have you ever had problems with ticks while bivvying on grass or heather? Um, again, I haven't really, because I sleep high. I had a horrible night with ticks with a tent once, but that was bivvying at low level in long grass in the West Highlands. I was asking for it. It's another advantage of sleeping high. Yeah. I mean, the midges are worse than the ticks. As a predator of human beings in the hills, I think the midges <laughs> are the worst. With ticks and flies and horseflies a bit further down the biting order. You know, you obviously enjoy the well, the miserable nights out on the hill. Um well, no, I don't enjoy them, but I enjoy writing about them. They're much more fun to write about. And um, I think the thing is the possibility of misery makes the the joy more intense. Mm. Now, if you just think, you know, you take your tent to a campsite and you go to sleep and you have a hot shower and, and then you get up in the morning and you put on your great big heavy rucksack and you plod another 15 miles. And I mean, you know, it's pleasant, it's enjoyable, but it's it's not going to leave burn marks in your memory forever afterwards. Whereas, you know, the night on top of that Munro in Scotland, which was an absolutely magic night. Part of the pleasure was that, you know, there could have been a, it could have snowed in the night. There could have been a torrential rain. It was before the day's weather forecasts were as good as they are now. I mean, it's certainly true that in a bivy bag, the nasty nights are nastier. But it's also true that the nice nights are a lot nicer. And the balance is definitely in the bivy bag's favour. Yeah, I think the, the point I was going to make is that, you know, people can choose the bivvying experience that they want. And if you just want to go bivvying in the summer on those beautiful evenings, then you can just do that. Just before we wrap up, I want to ask you about the best place that you've bivvied or your most memorable experience, or perhaps they're two different things. 
Well, the most memorable is the nastiest. <laughs> I think it was probably that night in Upper Eskdale, which you can read about in the Cicerone 50-year anniversary book, which is a good book to buy even apart from that chapter about the bivy bag night in Upper Eskdale. And I made quite a few mistakes, which I shouldn't have done, considering how long I've been at it. And then what would you say is your, your most enjoyable? There have been so many wonderful nights. Um, I mean, the Snowden one had no unenjoyable aspects to it, whatever. It was just perfect all the way. It could hardly have been improved uh, unless somebody had come up in the morning selling ice creams or coffee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is a restaurant there now. I think it was just a concrete shack at the time. But leaving that aside... <laughs> The most recent one, the one on Waller Crag. I mean, that was a beautiful, a beautiful night out. Cicerone Extra is going to have an article quite soon, which is free. You can read it for nothing on the website <laughs> about a night out on Helm Crag, which was pretty near perfect as well. It was grey and drizzly in the morning, but it was an amazing night out and very cosy and warm. Ronald, thank you so much for joining me this evening. And it must be a, a beautiful night, actually, for going out. So I'm sorry that we've kept you in <laughs> if you were planning to go out. Thanks very much, Amy. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. And thanks to Ronald for joining us to share his expertise and enthusiasm. You can find out more about Ronald's The Book of the Bivy on the Cicerone website, along with the full video of the live event and plenty of other guidebooks, articles and videos. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, do let us know what you think by leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or emailing us live at cicerone.co.uk. We'd really love to hear from you. To keep up to date with the podcast, please follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app or provider. You can also listen on the Cicerone website, www.cicerone.co.uk, where you can browse our full range of guidebooks, read our articles and sign up to our newsletter. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So in the meantime, search for at Cicerone Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also join our Facebook community group, Cicerone Connect, to connect with other outdoor enthusiasts. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon.